This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning, good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you're at. And I am really excited today to have um, Eric McNulty uh, back on the show, uh, although the first time live. So, you know, this, this is kind of a, a new thing for us here. And we're talking about developing the meta, the meta leader um, at the National Preparedness Leadership um, initiative, the NPLI. And NPLI is a joint program, if you guys don't know, um, with the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership um, at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Whew, say Harvard a lot in that conversation. So, you know, it's really kind of a cool place. Um, they are leading in the concept of research in leadership, specifically in disaster um, and crisis leadership. Um, Eric, if you guys don't know, has written the book, or it was one of the co-authors, I should say, of the book You're It, um, and that was on the book of the 10 best or 10 books that emergency managers should have on their bookshelf and read, all right? And also, um, Eric is a, a contributing member of the Crisis Response Journal, which is a really great um, uh, magazine, by the way, a journal, if you will. Highly recommend that you get it. And hey, we're also having a webinar coming up. We're giving away um, one of those uh, sub, uh, electronic subscriptions to that. So, Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here. How have you been? Uh, <clears throat> terrific. Thank you very much. It's been uh, a good, good time to be in crisis leadership, which is uh, kind of scary sometimes, but there's always plenty to do. So we, we've talked before on uh, the concept of metal leadership, and you talk about a lot in your book, You're It. Um, highly recommend it again uh, to, to read it. But let's just go over really quick, what exactly does meta leadership mean? Well, we look at, at leading through crises as being different than, than managing the crisis. And leading is taking that broader view, seeing the bigger picture, looking at all the stakeholders. What are the, not just the short-term consequences, but the long-term consequences. So it's really built around understanding yourself as a person, being able to accurately diagnose the situation and not just have awareness, but have insight as to what's going on. And then building connectivity. So building those robust relationships down to your team, up to your boss or bosses to a political official if you report to someone like that, across within the organization. So all the departments are working in sync and then out to external stakeholders as well. So you're really looking at the full range of people who are involved in this in an incident and who are success, who are essential to your success. So as somebody who strives to be a leader, right, as an emergency manager, we should be a leader. Um, how do we develop ourselves into becoming a meta leader? Well, you know, I think it really is about um, understanding the two, the two lenses of what's happening now and what's happening next. And that's the piece where I find that really differentiates those from who both manage and lead well. And I I'm very much of the school that I see leading and managing as complementary skill sets. I don't think, oh, you're a manager, but you're a leader, sort of as if it's tattooed on you someplace. Um, so it's that ability when you're managing, you're getting things done right now. It's today. 
allocating resources, making sure people are doing what they're supposed to do. And the leading piece is taking you into that future, even amidst uncertainty. So what's going to happen next? And you're thinking about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and anticipating what's going to be coming. So when we bring people through our, our courses, whether they're in person or online, we work through a lot of scenarios and case studies to get people to see and, and sort of tease out how you do that and how you make sure you can remember to not just look down at your dashboard, but look out the window once in a while too, to, to see what's coming at you. Absolutely. Speaking of metal leaders, uh, Dan Scott is joining us now. He's running a little late because he was dealing with a crisis of his own. Dan, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. And I hope I'm glad that you uh, dealt with that uh, problem. And whew. Good morning and welcome, Eric. <laughs> it's great to, great to have you on the show today. And it's actually a great honor for me to actually be able to talk to you today. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad you made it in. <laughs> so, so when you guys start, and I say you guys, the, the MPLI, um, start to take a look at your leadership curriculum, um, and and you know, before the the advantage of going to NPLI was going. Well, I wouldn't say it's an advantage going to Harvard, especially during the winter time. But you know, it's, I'm from being out here in California. It's a little chilly out. That's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, so you go. The advantage is going over to Harvard, um, meeting people, interacting with people. But I know because of COVID, you've moved to an online uh, platform. Um, what was the challenge of that? You know, that. thank you. That was really, it was really interesting because you're right. A big part of going to an executive education program in residence is you get to meet a lot of people. You get to hang out with them. You build relationships. That's a big part of what you take away. And so thinking about moving those online, uh, we were really challenged. I have to say that this is one of those lucky moments where the technology on the up curve came right as the, as the situation was going on the on, going downward and that the capabilities now in these video conferencing platforms, be it Zoom or others, where you happen to use Zoom, um, has been really good. And so we were able to build in a lot of breakout rooms. So we're still going to do small group discussion. We work through case studies. We're actually, it's actually a bit easier now to bring in people uh, as guest speakers. So we had Pete Gaynor in. We had a program that ran in December. Pete Gaynor uh, came in and talked about leading through COVID. Uh, we've got an expert on combating violent extremism coming up next week in a program. And so we're able to get folks who, without worrying about travel and time zones and all that, it, it's, uh, it's a lot easier. Um, but it really has been work. And I would say um, we all the faculty have tried very hard to make sure that the people feel like they're part of a, of a community when they're in a program, even if they're on Zoom and aren't together. You know, we don't get to go out for a beer. We don't get to have coffee together, uh, but part of a community. And so... Uh, we've intentionally structured the programs to provide a lot of interaction and give people plenty of time to to form those relationships, uh, because we want them to continue the, those uh, the, the community once they've uh, gone back to their day jobs. So, the, so the program that you guys offer is an amazing program. It's one that I, I one day hope to go through myself. But as and I've I've done some review on it and looked at it in the audience that you target. Um, do you find that it's 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 more of senior leadership that comes through these programs versus those who are just entering into leadership capacity? Well, the good news is we now have multiple programs. So for a long time, we just had the one executive education program. It was a very senior audience, and they would come twice to Harvard and work a project in between uh, over a six-month period. Now we have an emerging leaders in crisis program that kicks off in March. This year it'll be online. Next year it'll be back in person. Uh, but that is for folks who are earlier in their career. It's a, 
it's still an intensive and immersive experience, but it's it's geared toward folks who are just coming up. And then we also have these two uh, purely online courses we developed this year because of COVID, a uh, core course and an advanced course. And that got a real mix. So we had the head of a head of a government agency whose name I won't mention, but it was the administrator uh, who came through it. And we had folks who were shortly out of college and they actually did a great job of learning from each other. Um, so I actually liked that mix of people at different stages um, and they brought different perspectives and uh, it, it was really actually a very dynamic environment. So when, when you talk about leadership in general, right. And, and I think this is something that's people talk, so either develop leadership or you're born into a born leader uh, or something is sometime in somewhere in between. And one of the questions I have specifically about developing leaders, right? Now we have a new generation of emerging managers um, coming a crisis leadership coming from behind us. Um, we have, you know, those that are leaving that are retiring that are, that are in front of us and you have those that are in the middle and, and like, so you're different at different levels. Um, how do we encourage the, younger generation coming up behind us to pick up leadership roles and how do we um, um, mentor them into those roles? Well, I think you can begin to teach people to think like leaders even very early in their career. And a great book I recommend on, in this area is called Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet. Um, you guys may have read it. It's a really very practical book. And in that, he talks about, he's, he's a captain of a nuclear submarine and talks about getting every member of his crew to think like leaders, which meant you know, again, seeing that bigger picture and how what they were doing fit into the larger mission of the vessel. So he, you know, still had a chain of command. This is still the military. Doesn't mean no one's in charge or everyone's in charge, but he got the th he got them thinking that way. And I think we can all do that. Is begin to get people to understand not just what to do, but why they're doing it and how it fits into that larger picture. Uh, that begins to build the perspective. And helps them contribute, see how they can contribute as leaders and not just in a purely functional role. Absolutely. And we had David Marquet, uh, captain, <clears throat> here on the, on the show and uh, for his book, Turn the Ship Around. And also he has another book, which I find really interesting. It's called Leadership is Language. And, and talking about how you approach how you say things, do things, and, and what that means. And I think that's another good follow-up book for him. And he's a great author. He's uh, terrific. And, yeah. Uh, so... Absolutely. So, Dan, what do you think? Oh, I, I agree. I think that the that the whole concept of that the book that was just mentioned was is amazing as far as um, having continually um, having to ask for permission versus taking initiative and and, and making a statement as if I'm going to do something and getting it seconded by by your command. Um, what I and, and I've said this many times um, on both both shows is that I feel like leadership is one of the most understudied. Um, um, skills in, in in emergency management. I feel like, um, and, and this is a, leading to the question: is we, we kind of get it, it, again in our comfort zone, and we and we and if we do read or if we do study, um, it, it's usually in an area that we have more of an interest. How do we uh, direct those who are, are who are entering the field, who are starting to read, study, grow, to expand their focus and be more diverse? In, their, the, in the aspects of which they study leadership, meaning we have the, you study the military, we study private organizations, we study those who uh, have done it in, in emergency management. Um, so how do we get the student or the next coming in the new emergency management practitioner or pro professional to say, well, I, I should not be single mindset. I should look more into and study leadership, study crisis management, study management itself uh, in, in approaching on the job. Well, I think it's a great point you raised, Dan, and I think that the uh, 
the, 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 tr the trick here is to get people to, to separate a specialty function and a general set of skills. And leading is a, is a generalist undertaking because you have to understand psychology and organizational behavior. And these days you have to understand a bit of neuroscience. There's all kinds of, of things that go into that area we call leadership, but it's understanding people, understanding organizations and, and how, they, how they work together. Um, and so I think it's, <clears throat> I always think it's good with younger people or any, at any point in their career. The most successful leaders I see are people who are widely read and who study widely, who are very curious about the people around them, the world around them. They're, you know, they may be into geography or history or whatever it happens to be, but they're always learning. And I think if we can tee up the people early on that, yes, you need to understand the management stuff. You need to know ICS. You need to know these functional specialty uh, skills and, and bodies of knowledge, but that is not sufficient. If you really want to be successful long-term, you've got to think more broadly than that. How do you understand the different stakeholder communities out there, the communities you're serving? How do you understand the other actors you're going to be uh, up against or working with, be it the private sector, nonprofit? And that's by getting out and experiencing them, but also studying these, these broader disciplines. Uh, so you have a really always growing and, and very integrated knowledge base to, to draw from. Uh, because again, if you're just that narrow specialist, you'll, you'll do well on a, run-of-the-mill emergency, but when you get to a true crisis where it's, it's big, the scope is big and it gets complex, um, you'll really struggle. Uh, but if you actually can connect with people, understand what motivates them, understand how to be present and what that means to the people who you want to follow you, that's when you can really thrive as a leader. Yeah, I mean, you, you, some great points, and, and I have a follow-up question to that, That and you've answered, and you answered some of it in, in your response previous, but Ultimately, what, what a, lot of, a lot of people don't understand is that uh, leadership is a skill and it has to be continually uh, developed and practiced. And, 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 we, and especially with emergency management, we don't necessarily sit at, at, in executive levels. We sit in areas of the organization where we have to lead in all directions around us at all time. And there are, is a misconception from those coming in. Well, I don't have the, the skill or the leadership capability or no one's going to listen to me. Um, or how to, especially right now with building the emergency management profession in an upward direction with everything going on in, in, in the world today, especially with COVID um, and, and how the spotlight is on emergency management, emergency response, emergency uh, and crisis management. How do we get the, or what, what advice do you have, I should say, for those who are saying, um, I'm not in a position to lead? Well, I a couple of answers there. Uh, and one is, it's interesting because I've recently been hearing about uh, people talking about a, a C-level emergency management position in corporations and whether it's called you know emergency management chief emergency management officer or something else but somebody who understands that domain so that when a, an organization does get into a crisis or hopefully they can avoid them by being smart about preparedness and mitigation but also when it gets into a, a situation we'll, we'll have the skill set to be able to get out of it uh, that's still in its infant infancy and I'm just hearing little trickles about that right now but I also think in terms of that the the, uh, the second half of your question, I really encourage people to think about leading uh, as a set of behaviors. And that means you can lead from wherever you are. So if you're just, you know, you've got a, a team of two people plus you, you can lead them. Then you're going to think about leading up to your boss. And I think they're, here a good way to start that conversation is to uh, engage that person and ask them some questions. So if X happens, whether it's the facility floods or a coronavirus hits, where, you know, as you're thinking about the risks you're going to face, 
you know, hey, what are the first two or three questions you're going to expect me to be able to answer for you? That sort of engages them in a thought process and think, okay, what am I going to want to know? Um, and then it, that prepares you to be able to work with them. But you really want to build a relationship with, if you're leading up, you want to build that relationship and not just think, okay, you know, I call Dan when something goes wrong. No, actually, I want to call Dan when I'm thinking about doing something new. We want to think about the risks and how we might mitigate those. I want to call Dan when I'm, you know, we're thinking about how do we re- how do we structure the organization to be as resilient as possible. That that emergency management perspective is a different one than other people are going to bring to the table, and it's equally valuable. And so, uh, that's how you be, I think begin to demonstrate value in the organization, and then people begin to seek you out. Um, and it helps to be a you know. Person people want to have around, you know, and, and don't <laughs> don't don't go into the the uh, the EM cave too deeply, and be afraid to come out. Actually, get out and engage with people and have conversations around the business or the the organizational issues, and uh, and don't be afraid to step up and offer an opinion. Absolutely, I was uh, talking about this. I just did a, a speech the other day uh, for Nevada, and I was telling them the same thing. I said one of the things that we do poorly as emergency managers is we put ourselves in the cave. We we only talk to other emergency managers. Uh, we we're like behind that that uh, little thing that says you know break glass when an emergency occurs, and and we don't really work within the organization, uh, and we have to become a, a an integral part of the organization, you know, and and also you know being able to. You know, you re- re- really utilize our emergency management operations plans, our business continuity plans if you're on the business side of things, on a, on a daily basis in decision-making, not just put it on a shelf and, and use it later. Hey, guys, real quick. <clears throat> hey, Dan. Sure. Do you have you ever seen the VanQuest bag? I've seen it many times, man. I'm waiting for my own. Absolutely. It's on its way. I think I'm going to get it to you for Valentine's Day. So VanQuest is uh, one of our sponsors here, and they have a really great bag. Um, it's it's a – I love it because on the inside of them, they have that orange uh, liner. So when you're looking for things, it's really easy to find. Uh, they're really durable. Trust me, I've ruined more, many, many, many of a bag just by carrying it around and throwing it around and, and being rough on it. So those of us that are in the field in emergency management, having that quality – high-vis bag is, is critical. So you can get that at VanQuest.com. That's VanQuest.com and use EM5Weekly, all capitals, off the number five, not the written up five. Uh, EM5Weekly dot, uh, as your checkout to get 10% off of your purchase. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Send to the sponsors because without them, we couldn't bring you the quality content that we're bringing you today. And I do have some follow-up stuff here going on, right? So George Rose says the best leaders I've ever worked with are the best listeners. And to kind of go on what George is saying there, one of the things I've, I've read is that if you're leading a meeting, 
right? And I've seen this happen before. Be the last person to speak. Don't tip your hand into, um, you know, like which way you believe or not, because otherwise you won't get everybody's input on, on an equal footing. Uh, how important is that to, to have that ability to, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, stop talking and, and, and listening and, and getting everybody's opinion before you say anything? Well, I think your listener was exactly right because people who are effective leading are really good listeners because they're always trying to bring information in and they do want to hear what others have to say. They're not afraid of other opinions. And I think if you're in a more senior position, as soon as you state something, others are going to be trying to please you. Unless you've really set a tone of, you know, hey, I'm I'm okay with everybody shooting down what I say. And that takes some work to, to build that kind of relationship. But Typically, if you're in a senior position, then people will want to please you. They always want to please you. Uh, whether they are conscious of it or not, they're going to be, let me defer to what Todd just said, or let me support what Todd just said. So being able to hold back like that is, is really important. Uh, another good rule for meetings like that is uh, no one speaks twice until everyone's spoken once, because you will get some outgoing people who will sort of dominate a conversation and some quiet people who will hold back and never get their voices in there. And so when you can set that rule, no one speaks twice until everyone's spoken once, make sure that everybody gets to say what, what they've got to say uh, and, and render their opinion. And obviously meetings are, you know, t- depending on how much time you've got and how urgent the topic is, those kind of things. But instead of routine meetings, I think it makes a lot of sense to make sure everyone is pulled into the conversation. I was reading this article um, about a, a financial uh, firm in, in New York and I guess they're, they're Blackstone. That's what it was. I was trying to think of what it was. Uh, Blackstone, uh, which is a financial firm in New York, and they are very progressive as far as the way they treat their employees and whatnot. And there was a, the CEO of the, of the company was having a meeting with some of their staff. And <clears throat> one, of the, one of the junior um, executives uh, at the end of the meeting sent an email to the CEO and said, hey, next time you come to a meeting, please be prepared because I guess the guy just walked in, wasn't prepared. Please be prepared. And if you need me to stop by the office to kind of get things going, I'm more than happy to do so. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, like, that that is an amazing organization for a junior executive executive to be able to shoot that email to the CEO and not get fired, you know? And, and matter of fact, the CEO shared that email amongst everybody and said, yes, please hold me accountable. And I think that's the other thing that leaders need to do is understand that their staff lets, has them hold them accountable. You know, and I think that was amazing. Absolutely. That radical candor is so important and be able, if, if, as a leader, being open to the feedback to say, and they should know because you know what? Hey, boss, you look stupid when you walk in and you're unprepared. Nobody wants to walk in and look bad. So again, being able to get that unvarnished feedback in an appropriate tone, obviously, and done it was done through a direct email, which is actually is good. So you didn't call the person out in front of the whole group. <laughs> so that's all good. Uh, and I think leaders should be welcome for that. And then be able to say, yeah, so how can I be better prepared for the next meeting? And that junior person wants to help them. Now you're building a relationship. Now it's easier to lead up. It goes back to the questions we were discussing earlier. Absolutely. Well, the best leaders, the best leaders are the ones who, who take their own advice, right? And they, and they, and they want to grow and they want to continue to develop. They don't want to just, I made it and I'm done, right? They want to continue to grow, develop, and and engage and 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 accept the the feedback that they're getting and then make correction. Um, but that kind of leads to, and I, I kind of want to touch back on on on, um, uh, and it's more for the advice from you to uh, the the leader that may and as as Todd said, we you know kind of in our cave of, of emergency management. I, I don't know if I want to call it a talk 
uh, on my show yesterday is more of a rant um, than I did on uh, on involvement, getting involved and not waiting uh, to be asked to, to go out and get involved, to engage. So what advice would you have on the new leader uh, that, that is just getting into for steps that they can do to get involved, engage others and then and, and to develop their level of uh, influence? So, so often someone coming into a new role uh, wants to do two things. One is impress everyone with how much they know and B is to get something done because I think those are the best ways to to impress people and to ingratiate yourself into an organization or into, into a new role. That's exactly wrong. What you want to do is build relationships mm-hmm. and then get some things done and then you know, so you do want to first start on reaching out um i think it's great to be just as listening is so important asking questions uh being able to set up meetings with people and uh, and just ask them questions what do you do how long have you been here how does what you're doing relate to what i'm doing um uh, and and do that it's it's a it's a really good way to show people you're open uh to show them that you're a, a good person to be around you're going to be a contributor and a, a good part of the team and, and whenever you're curious about someone else, they tend to think well of you because they want to, you know, they get the chance to show off a little bit. Um, so I would focus first on building the relationships. And then through that, through the conversations and things you have, people will figure out how smart you are. And, uh, and they'll also begin to, you'll get the opportunity to get some things done. But if you don't get that trust built first, those relationships opened up, you're going to limit your ability to actually get things done over the long haul. We, have, we actually have a question, and, and you answered and a little bit of what you just said as a, as a small answer to that. But uh, uh, George Rose uh, has a question on how do you get people, local government departments, to uh, break down those silos? And it's an, it's an issue in which he's struggling with uh, in his job. So how do you, would you suggest getting um, being able to engage them and get them to break down silos within the intergovernmental departmental work? So one of the things you can do, and we talk about this a lot in our MPLI courses, is don't talk about breaking down silos. Talk about connecting silos because, you know, this the questioners in the fire service, you don't want the cops running the fire department. You don't want the firefighters running the police department. Those, those silos exist for reasons, but they need to be well connected so they can communicate, so they can leverage each other, so they can share experience and those kind of things. So I think when you, when you talk about connecting silos and show an appreciation for what's in those silos, it becomes less threatening to people is one thing. Um, and secondly, in terms of local government, I think you have to begin to connect the dots for people, um, find ways to, uh, again, you can, and this doesn't have to be a big formal effort, but simply convening people from the various silos for the cost, back when we were able to get together again for the cost of coffee and some bagels, talk about, you know, throw out a scenario. What if X happens? How are we going to handle it? And just have an informal conversation. And you'll begin to build, again, the relationships and see that, you know, we tend to think of things that go into three buckets. Here's what I do that you don't do. Here's what you do that I don't do. And when we agree on those things, then we can get to the bucket of here's the things we have to do together. But Mm -hmm. neither one of us can do by ourselves. Uh, And again, by validating that each agency does certain things that nobody else is going to do or has the expertise to do, that gives them more confidence in collaboration. But also you begin to leave out on the table the things of, hey, we can only do we can only accomplish these by working together, which gives you the the incentive to begin to uh, to build to connect the silos in, in better ways. You know, removing personality out of, of that um, sometimes is important. And Eileen brings up a point of using technology to take the. Um, I say personality, but taking the individual out of the question or the problems by using either, you know, um, 
anonymous uh, uh, questions that can go through an email or there are some programs that you can put stuff on there and it pops up on the screen to answer questions. Is is that something that you recommend um, to do, you know, as far as, as far as running the program or do you think you need to have that personality in there to be able to have a better uh, understanding of why the person's asking the question? You know, I go, I go back and forth on that because I, I've, was first of the do it anonymously because you feel safer school. Um, but then I had a conversation with, uh, as I recall, was the head of HR from Netflix on my podcast, Leader Readycast. And she was saying when they actually, they got rid of the anonymous piece and made you put your name to it. Um, actually, people got much more engaged with it. Um, and they and they do a regular exercise of uh, start, stop, continue. So we let's we, here's something we should, I think we should start doing. Here's something I really wish we would stop doing. And here's something good we should continue. They do that on a regular basis as a way of keeping their processes uh, relevant and streamlined and, and get, from getting too much bureaucracy in the way. Um, but they found putting names to it. And so I think, again, it depends a bit on the culture. And if you're initially in a, uh, if it's a fear-based culture or people aren't comfortable, uh, the anonymity may help. But I think you want to build to a point where just like the the story you told earlier, Todd, that that person you know, whatever their level happens to be, can shoot an email to anybody else and say, here's what I think and here's why. And you don't, you're not defensive about it. You may agree or disagree, take the advice or not take it, uh, but you're open to, to getting the feedback. And that's when organizations are really healthy. Oh, Eileen says, this is for idea, idea generation only. Thanks for that follow-up on that one, Eileen. <laughs> Excuse me. I was going to, so I was just going to relate, you know, I think the, the connecting silos is, is an amazing uh, thought and, and, and advice. And I think a good way to think about it is a lot of the social media uh, networking uh, programs that are out there right now, they don't, they don't necessarily work, um, break down, but they work together, right? You can log into one and then connect other social media aspects to that one. So they work together and ask, but they're still their own. They're still, they still have their own platform, their own networking uh, purposes, but you can work together in connecting those, those, those online networking services um, to, you know, you're still doing your thing, but they, they all feed together, they work together. So I think that's, that's a great aspect to, to answer that question, but also uh, a new line of thinking because before, and, you know, 15 years ago, when I started getting it, it was like, we're trying to break down silos. Well, let's stop trying to break them down. Let's connect them. Yeah. Uh, let's, so we're just, ultimately we're working together. So Eric, I'm sorry to interrupt real quick. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Todd. I was, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, you know, I want to talk about MPLI a, a little bit more because, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's a great program. And I'd like to hear what are some of the successes that you've had? Like, you know, who has graduated from your program has like gone on to become like the, uh, you know, the president of the United States or anything like that? President of the United States. Um, no. <laughs> um, no, you haven't. We, we have had uh, people who are um, have been heads of, of large organizations, heads of uh, and number number one, number two role at places like FEMA, CDC, um, Secret Service, um, and other agencies at the federal level like that. Um, certainly, it's uh, state and local level as well. Um, three out of the last four superintendents of the Mass State Police are alums of our program. The we've had Boston police commissioners and and. Uh, fire commissioners come through the program. Uh, but it really, it's, and it's, it's yes, there is some, there's quite a cadre actually who get to very prominent positions. And when, I always like to say, when something big and bad goes wrong in this country, you'll find NPLI people trying to fix it. Um, but they aren't always in that top role. Some of them are uh, in the sort of upper mid-level of things and, or, you know, just doing their job. Uh, but we go throughout 
We've we trained more than 10,000 people when you count both our executive education programs as well as one-off seminars and things we've done uh, across more than 100 agencies. Uh, it's federal, state, and local, just in the U.S., and then I've done training around the world, uh, mostly in the private sector, but also with the military in Singapore. Um, and so... They're out there. That's that's part of the value of the network. I think people say, "Of you know, wow, I'm I'm glad I'm part of this family because we don't we never let go of people. You know, once they come through the program, we don't just say that's great, thank you, have a good life. We try and even in the midst of an incident, try and connect people so they can find their their fellow alums who they may not know because they were in different cohorts, but say, okay, yeah, you need somebody over at this agency. Here's who's working on this incident. Give them a call. And they're able to connect quickly because they speak the same language. They've had a similar experience. And people have told us over and over again that that trusted network, certainly now people who are moving to Washington with, with the uh, new administration, will help them find each other. And they'll instantly have a network of, of professional, both peers and friends, who they can uh, so they can get to work faster and do good things sooner. Who should go through your program? Everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, I think we, we, we want people who really, who aspire to lead in this profession. And that goes across the, you know, the full range from preparedness through recovery, um, whether it be federal, state, or local, but people who really want to make an impact, who want to lead the profession to a bigger, to a better place, who really want to support their communities and want to have a really active role. They want the skills and the uh, the perspective on how to do that. And, um, and we work really hard to try and, like I say, get them to that. I've had people who, who start the program after they've been 30 years in, in, in the field. I have other folks who are very junior in their, in their field, in the field as well, who come in. And particularly now with these online programs, which are offered on it, we have twice a year, we're doing them. They're less expensive than coming to Harvard. You don't get to touch the Ivy, but um, you know, I think they're still good programs. And, um, and I say, and you really, it really helps in the the silo issue we just talked about because they're inter they're they're not for single agencies and so you'll be in there sitting with people from from law enforcement from public safety from uh you know it could be the nts ntsb or it could be uh the fda you know and you get to hear people who approach a program and a problem in different ways who think a bit differently and you really learn a lot by hearing how different people would approach the same situation so we've got that emerging leaders program we've got the executive program uh, so I'm only kidding a little bit when I say everybody, all of your listeners, I'm sure we would love to have in one of our programs. How do so we how find out? Cohorts, oh, go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. Go, no, Dan. How, how many cohorts uh, do you guys do a year and how competitive is the process and so how do we, they apply? That, thank you. Um, so we have uh, of our emerging leaders and our executive mental leadership program. We run one cohort each of those, and those are an application process. The emerging leaders program is coming up in June, excuse me, in, in uh, March, and you apply to get into that as with the executive program. Our core and advanced online programs, those are open enrollment. So anybody who wants to come can come to those. Uh, we have one of those also starting up in March. Uh, the information on all the programs is at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Um, we'll be doing the core and advanced in March and April, and then we'll be doing them again in the fall. And our next executive program starts in December. Uh, we, we're in that once a year, goes from December to June. Absolutely cool. So that information will also be down in the show notes um, as well. And uh, guys, we're we are hitting uh, hitting into the hard stop here. So I'm gonna have to let you go, Eric. You're always welcome back on the show. Love talking to you. Talk about leadership all day long and 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 more. Uh, first of all, everybody, if you guys don't know Eric McNulty again from MPLI, second thing is is get that book you're in. 
it's right there behind it on the shoulder right there buy that book if you haven't bought it yet um you know it's 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 on our it's on our read list here at, at Ian Weekly at the uh, top 10 books that belong in emergency managers bookshelf and like I always say buy it and read it and apply it right so uh, i know a few people in here have said that this uh this book has been great uh robert whitman has uh, put a couple of comments up there talking about uh, how what he got out of the book so i think that's great and uh dan thank you for for being here today and hey everybody you know what I think it's uh, you know really important that we have guests like um, Eric out here because leadership is really important. It's something that we should be focusing on uh, as a regular basis um, as emergency managers, and we really need to um, we need really to develop it and and get out there. Like we're saying before, get out there and knock on those doors and, and go to coffee with the people from the other divisions. You know, your public works, your police, your fire, your uh, your planning department. Make sure you know everybody in your city and who you're working with, um, and and collaborate with everybody, not just other emergency managers. We do have some exciting news coming um, here, coming right now. We have developed the crisis uh, uh, <laughs> the crisis cafe, right? And the crisis cafe is a place for emergency managers to get together. We can avoid all of the noise that's on other social uh, media platforms. Um, so. Join it, and it's also down in the show notes as well for Crisis Cafe. And uh, if you like what we're doing here, please find your five, go to your favorite podcast player, hit that five stars, leave a review, tell your friends and colleagues what we're doing, and get more people here, part of this community. Because without you, we are nothing. We it's all about the emergency management community here at Ian Weekly. So I really appreciate you spending your time with us today. And don't forget to join us, uh, Ian Weekly's business continuity today. EM student and prepare, respond, recover. So thank you for being with us today. And remember, follow us on your favorite podcast player, YouTube, Twitter, here on LinkedIn, and join us next week. Until then, stay safe and stay hydrated. <laughs>